soul of honor I'm longing to be as clay to the potter may I be to thee you may have to break down resistance at times but Jesus don't stop molding and shaping my Shake me, 
sing and uh, he reminds me of on the uh, Andy Griffith show uh, Barney not him but uh, the uh, the episode where Barney's in the choir and uh, they give him a special mic and they turn it you know, wait, wait, wait and they have somebody go in the back and sing and Barney thinks it's his voice and uh, the fella that sings sound brother Cal sounds just like him and uh, but that's just useless trivia that you have now. <laughs> but if you're ever on Jeopardy and uh, they ask that question, uh, you're, you're good to go. So uh, I try to help you every time, uh, if not spiritually, uh, with something else. So uh, take your Bibles, if you would, open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll find ourselves. And uh, we started back in the uh, college class this morning. That was fun. And uh, I, I'm either a really mean person or I don't know, but uh, we're, we're actually dealing with uh, a subject that I think we could all use help with uh, in the college class. We just started it this morning, and it says, my phone changing me? Is my phone changing me? You say, well, how has that got any spirit? It's got spiritual application. Uh, I think a lot of times we, we avoid certain subjects. We don't think it has anything to do with God, but everything has to do with God because God is involved in everything. And so, uh, but one of the, the most funnest things I've ever done was this morning. I took a basket and I collected everyone's cell phone into that basket. And to feel the, the fear in the room and the, uh, the, the just the, the confusion, um, part of me is gone. So, uh, and that was just when I took mine and put it in a basket, not when I took all theirs. But, um, you know, I, I, said, I told him, I said, listen, I, I love technology. I, I love technology. If you know me, you know that I do. And I enjoy it. I said, but I, I have technology. I just can't let it have me. And so, there, there's, so we're looking at that. And, but that, I might do that every, I might do that when I come back into the adult class to teach. Uh, that would be really, really fun. And then nobody wanted to be the first one to take their phone out of the basket. They just all sit there looking at me like, I don't want to be the first one because you just taught about it. So uh, anyways, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, I want to give you a funny little story I, I was uh, reading the other day. And um, there's a, a, a couple, uh, Tom and Grace, and they attended a marriage seminar on communication. And while they sat there listening to the instructor, the instructor was explaining about how it's essential that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes, and how important that is. And so then he turned to the men, he said, men, 
It's very, very important that you know what type of flower your wife likes. And Tom turned to Grace and said, you like self-rising flower, right? So, <laughs> Anyhow. I thought you weren't going to grade me anymore, Brother Coffee. You said, I'm always a 10, so why bother? Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll find our passage this morning. And we all know this passage of Scripture. It's, it's not anything that is new to us, I, I don't think. Uh, but we do want to look at it uh, just a little bit here and uh, think about it. And the fact that this is Graduate Sunday, and uh, certainly we're going to speak to the graduates, but just by way of application for the rest of us. Uh, it, I pray that this message would be uh, useful, as Brother Wisner said, that we would get something from it. We won't get anything from it if we're not looking for something. Uh, so I just want to encourage you, uh, look past the speaker to the Scripture, and, uh, and God will give you uh, something here. But Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse number 1, we find our place. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so what we see here is a, a text uh, about a cloud of witnesses that are watching us. Uh, and and uh, you can go to whatever preacher you want to go and you can find out a lot of different things. But I, I truly believe that there's witnesses both in heaven and witnesses both here on earth that are watching us run our race and are invested in our race and involved in our race. And so I want to look at this just uh, for a few moments by way of, of speaking to the graduates, but speaking to us, what will they see? What will they see when they watch our race? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we just pray that you'd be with us. Lord, I pray you take these next few moments and... Uh, Lord, just uh, cleanse me, dear God, of sin and, and empty me of self, dear God, and fill me with your spirit, I pray, and let your word go forth with power and uh, with conviction. And I pray that your words would be spoken, nothing more, nothing less. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. But what we find here is uh, Hebrews chapter 12, as it starts off the chapter, it says, Wherefore? Now that word wherefore means to consider. What are we to consider? What just was spoken about in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the, the, the great chapter of faith, the hall of faith. And it, it speaks about those that have gone on before in the faith. And it, it speaks of these people who, who believed God, who trusted in God. And, and the writer here, he then turns and says, because of this, wherefore... Consider this as we now run our own race. Think about those that have gone before. But then as he moves into verse number 2, he says, now let's look unto the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's saying, consider these that have gone on before in the faith, but let's consider who started the faith. And if we're going to run our race today, we're going to have to start 
at the beginning with Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the one that starts the race. Why? Because that is who we believe in to start this Christian life. He is the one that came and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. He is the one that cares for our soul. He is the one that died upon the cross. Uh, you know, so often, we, especially if we grow up in church, and you heard the, the testimonies of the young people this morning that they have by and large grown up in church. It's easy to buy into a brand of Christianity without having the base for why you're doing what you do. Jesus Christ is that foundation. Upon Him is our faith founded. And so we have to always, always begin with Jesus Christ. And so He cares for us. It says they're looking unto Jesus. And so we need to consider our Savior. Consider our Savior. In these few verses here, the, 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 the author gives us just a, kind of a synopsis, a, a cliff notes, just in a nutshell, the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, he says He came, He endured, He uh, despised the shame, he, he endured contradiction of sin. It, it, it goes through all this. And so we need to consider what He did. The examination of our Savior, we see here, who is He? Well, it says He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the chief captain, the completer of our faith. He is the one who enables our salvation. He is the equipper of our sanctification. He is the establisher of our eternal habitation. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He wrote the first page of salvation when the Bible says He was slain as a lamb before the foundation of the earth. He entered the, into the domination of sin and death and with his royal proclamation, he said, it is finished. It is finished. He started it, and he finished it. And then he showed his supremacy when on the third day, the grave could not hold him. You know, as we read that story of, of, of Peter and the, the ladies first coming to the grave, and then Peter and, and John coming to the grave, and they find that the, the stone was rolled back. That stone wasn't rolled back so that they... Uh, would see that he had gotten out, that stone was rolled back so that they could get in. He didn't need that stone to be out of the way to come out of that grave. And so we see that he is the, 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 the author, the finisher, the beginning, the end of our faith. Uh, we need to inspect him, consider carefully our Savior. In John chapter 1 and verse 26, John seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then just a few verses later, it says, looking upon Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. As we consider this man, Jesus Christ, He is the Lamb of God. And why do we need a Lamb? Because there was a necessary sacrifice for sin. A necessary sacrifice for sin. So consider our Savior. Contemplate what He has done for us. We need to have Jesus on the mind. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, uh, the, the writer writes, Fulfill you, my joy to be that you be like-minded. How do we be like-minded? Well, the Bible says that over in Philippians chapter 3 that we should have the mind of Christ. He's the author, the finisher of our, our faith, our salvation, but we need to have Him with us in the, in the middle. In the beginning and the end, but in the middle is when we really desperately need Him to live this life. 
And before they, 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 they get into to let them see your race, consider who starts the race for us. Jesus Christ. Consider our Savior. Do we think about Him? We get saved and then does He ever enter our mind after that? Where is our mind at? You know, Sunday school lesson this morning was on, on our phones and, and, and how they distract us from everything around about us. And showed a little video clip. We get to watch videos in, in our class. And, you know, it's just, we have fun. Okay, we have fun. And watch a little video clip and it, and it looks like a big cell phone walking through, uh, you know, a, a neighborhood and sitting at a table. And, and then there's one where he's sitting in church. And, uh, his, uh, and, and it's a cell phone and there's a lady sitting next to him and, uh, and, and he's scrolling through his Bible app following along with the pastor. And then all of a sudden it pops up uh, that the Denver Broncos scored. You know, it goes, do-do-do, and, uh, and, and he raises his hands and his wife's hitting him, you know, trying. What? He was distracted from where he was. Be where we are wholeheartedly. And so the, the, the premise of the entire video was, hey, we need to get this distraction out of our life so we can concentrate on what's important. Guess what? The Tigers stink, even though they've won a few games. And, and, and whether they win today or tomorrow is not going to have any bearing on eternity. You won't get to heaven... And they say, well, do you know who won the 1984 World Series? That, that, that's not our pass key into heaven. It's Jesus Christ. And so as he is the author and the finisher of our faith, as we consider him, we need to think about him. We need to have him on the mind. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but on every day that ends in why, to think about Jesus, to have him on the mind. And so we see the examination of our Savior, who he is. The example of our Savior says uh, here in verse number two, it says, looking on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. He had discernible joy in his life. That's something a lot of us could take to heart that there's joy that's discernible to other people in our lives. Once again, falling back on Sunday school, I told the young people, I said, you should be the greatest employee that your employer has because you are a Christian. Because God said to do everything to His honor and glory. Now, I would dare say that I'm the best employee that Pastor Brown has. Uh, but we should be that discernibly joyful in our lives. We're not going to hell. <laughs> we should be happy about that. We, we, we've got uh, an eternal love from a Savior. And so he had discernible joy for what was set before him. I call that a dictated journey. The will of God. God has a will for our lives. And that is the part that falls in between the author and the finisher. 
That is that part in between that we live in front of these witnesses. And so for the joy, it says, that was set before him, he knew that there was joy coming along. And what was that? Our salvation. To know that he would be able to redeem mankind and give us a personal relationship with God. Eternal salvation. A heavenly home. Um, all the Chick-fil-A you can eat. I, I think that's in another version. Yeah, it's in my version. But to think of the joy that it gave Christ to see what was set ahead. He looked beyond the cross. And he saw me. And it gave him joy. And so he walked that path. He walked that journey. In Luke chapter 2 and in verse 49, from just a young age, he said, how is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. I've got to be about my father's business, he said. And that business would bring him joy. You know what will give us the greatest joy in our life? Is to be about the Father's business. To find the will of God and to live it. That will bring joy. You know, these young people are going to go off to college. And there's going to be a rude awakening when all of a sudden mom and dad are gone and you're left. I, I remember going to a Crown for my first semester. And I was a little bit older than everybody else. I had already had a secular job. I had been in the workplace. I, the main thing that I found out that I knew that these other guys didn't was I knew how to iron. I mean, I, I had 17-year-old uh, young men come in and... and I mean, I had a uniform shirt that had three creases across the back, two creases across the front, a crease down each side, and I did those myself. This is before I was married. Uh, now I don't know how to iron. Uh, I lost that building. It disappeared on March 20. I mean, it was gone. But I, th this, this young man watched me in wonder as I ironed a shirt. And he said, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? And I looked at him and... Several things crossed my mind. And I was a little bit worse at holding my tongue back then. Now I've grown uh, and, and uh, matured. And I said, you don't know how to iron? He goes, well, no. My mom always did it. And, and so there, there, there's going to be a, a rude awakening um, coming along. It'll be fun. It'll be great. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Um, but why they, they, they are stepping out into their own life. Now, now, God wants them to walk in His will as a teenager, as a young person. We need to find God. God has a will for your life, and no matter what age you are, whether you're, you're as soon as you're saved, God says, hey, I've got something I want you to do. And, and until you're dead, He's still got something for you to do. So, just do it. <laughs> I just made that up right now. Um, 
But they're about to step out when, when it becomes real, okay? And all of a sudden, mom and dad aren't in the next room, necessarily, to give guidance. And I know we have cell phones, we can call, but you got to make decisions. And if you begin now, young people, to learn how to live God's will, make it a whole lot easier when your parents aren't there to help you. To, you know, it's like the old saying, I had a drug problem growing up. My mom and dad drugged me to church and drugged me to this, drugged me to that. When it's time to make the choice on your own about what you're going to do, where you're going to go, who you're going to hang with, the will of God. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he knew the will of God. And yet it brought him joy to do it. If I can look at the example of my Savior, that knowing the cross was God's will, yet it brought him joy, I don't think there's anything going to come in my life that could be worse than that. It says, uh, as we look on in, in the verses here, he says, uh, in, in verse number 2, he says, uh, looking on Jesus, and he goes down, it says, who, for the, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. The enduring of our Savior. He did not deviate from the suffering. Don't try to sail around the storm. The storm is where you find out where the leaks are. Case in point. Case in point. The storm is where you find out where the chinks in your armor is. You got to go through the storm to find out where you need to patch it. So don't run from the will of God when it's hard. Because then you just end up in a hard world without the will of God. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He looked at the shame and said, it's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Because he knew the joy that was set before him. The contradiction of sinners. Can I borrow your Bible? So I quote it right. Wow. I can see this one. It says... Uh, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Thank you, sir. And he, he's got as much stuff in my Bible as I do. He endured the contradiction of sinners. That word contradiction, when you look at it, it says the, it's the disobedience and the disbelief. He endured the cross, despised the shame, because he knew the joy that there would be some that would believe. It says that he came to seek and to save. He is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even though he knew that not everyone would, he still did it. For the joy that was set before him. So don't forget that there is joy even when we have to endure some suffering even when we have to go through a trial, 
even when we have to go through a storm, that there's going to be shame with being associated with the name of Jesus Christ because he says, hey, if they hated me, why won't they hate you? And even though people aren't going to believe that you are what you say you are, live what you are. Because we pop back up to verse number one. It says, wherefore seeing there is a cloud of witnesses. Not just a, a great cloud. Those witnesses are people who have lived the life already. Or are living the life right now. There are people who have gone before you that have endured trials and despised the shame because they've seen the example of our Savior and they've looked towards the joy that's coming. We, we see the enablement of our Savior. Philippians chapter 1, it says, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, I mean, you think about Paul. Probably one of the greatest Christians ever says uh, in 1 Timothy, he's writing unto Timothy, his son in the faith. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. Why? Because Philippians chapter 4 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's why we have to consider and contemplate on our Savior. The example that He gives us is, hey, He did it, and He will enable me to do it. Why? Because somebody is watching. People who have gone before, people who are coming after. You know, there are, there's a lot of kids around here. I mean, just look over here when, when Brother Bob has his candy box, and it's like, get out of their way. It was like at the ball games yesterday, Brother Warden had his candy box, and it was like, just get out of the way. And, uh, I mean, chocolate flowing. But, um, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, they look up to those that are living this life right now. You know what they can't see in their home? Somebody that's different than what they see in their church. What they can't see at their church, they can't see something mighty different at the store. You know what I'm saying? It's like when I lived in Brunswick, I couldn't go anywhere without seeing everybody that I know. And uh, my wife and I were laughing. You know, you get all dressed up, put your hair and makeup and everything, go out and you don't see nobody. You throw on a hoodie and a ball cap and you walk into Walmart and your entire church is there. It's like, where were you yesterday? A cloud of witnesses. You know, when you're in a cloud, I remember I, Brother Cal, he's a pilot. I used to fly. And, and when you go into the clouds, you are what? Encompassed by that thing. It's all around you. This cloud of witnesses is all around us. Older, younger, same age. And they are watching what we're doing. They're going to be watching Jake, Tressa, Chrissy. As you take this next step into adulthood, 
with freedoms that are now here that you never had before to see if it's real. They have been watching us to see if it's real. What have they seen? What have they seen? As, as we look at this passage, wherefore, seeing where it comes about by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And, and, and I, I only have two points. I've already finished one. This is my second. Continue your stand. Consider your Savior and continue your stand. He says here, lay aside the weight, lay aside every weight. I call this our side interest, both internal and external. Those things that occupy so much of our time. Like we were teaching in Sunday school this morning, we just have to get rid of the distractions that a simple device that we, the, the, the writer of the book that I'm reading to, to do this, he calls our cell phone, our smartphone, a pack mule on our heavenly trip. He says, you don't groom a pack mule. A pack mule's not there to be pretty. It's there to be used. A tool for communicating should communicate something other than I'm not interested in you, I'm more interested in this. Lay aside every weight, whether it be internal the, the, the things that occupy our mind that take us away from thinking about Christ or the things on the outside. I have a lot of things I like to do. Uh, Miss uh, Marcella, she calls me a, a jack of all trades. And I said, a master of none. <laughs> you know, I can do just enough to make it harder for the professional to come in and fix it. <laughs> I know just enough Spanish to get myself in trouble and hope that somebody can come bail me out. But... I have lots of interest, but those interests can't have me. The primary focus of every Christian needs to be Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're running a race with Him as the prize. With what He has for us as our prize. And so, He says, lay aside every weight. You know, I like to run when the conditions are perfect. And thus far, they have not been perfect for about two years. So it's either cold or hot, rainy, it's too dry, uh, you know. But I, I like to run. I will tell you, since I lost weight, it was easier to run. It didn't hurt as much. It, it did. You know why our softball team is doing so much better now? The college guys got home, and we have people that can run beyond first base. I mean, seriously. I'm standing there looking at them, they're at third, I'm like, no, that's a single. <laughs> How'd you get that? You missed first base. What is it? It helps to what? To get rid of everything that weighs us down. You know, when Paul was going through that, that uh, storm called Eurachlodon, what did they start to do to try to keep the boat afloat? They start throwing everything out. They start throwing out the tackling. Tackling is kind of important to a boat. It kind of does what it needs to do to get you where you're going. They start throwing out the wares. That was important to the boat. Why? Because that's how they were paying for the fare, for the ship, for their travels. 
But let me tell you something. Things become really, really in focus when there's a storm in your life and you realize what is important and what is not. And those distractions that we have, those weights, those things that are both internal and external, all of a sudden, we'll shed them a lot easier. But you know what? It's a lot better to shed them before you get into a storm. Because you can ride it through a whole lot easier, a whole lot quicker if they're gone. So he says, let us lay aside every weight. And then he says, the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, it's interesting to use that word easily because he knows how we are. He knows how it, it you know, the Bible, as we mentioned this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, uh, the Satan is a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's just looking for a tasty tidbit. And sometimes we're easy to catch and eat. You ever watch those YouTube videos where the gazelle comes down next to the, the, the water and it's so tranquil, there's nothing. And then you see just a little, a little break in the water. And then all of a sudden, this crocodile comes out and grabs it and pulls it back in. Why? Well, the gazelle was just down there getting a drink of water. He, he was just, you know, going about his business. And then, bam, something tragic happened. So often, we just go about our lives as though, hey. And we walk right into a trap of Satan. And it says, the sin which does so easily beset us, so easily overcome us. Why? Because we're weighed down from just a phrase before. Why do we need to get rid of those weights? Because sin is right around. What, what did God tell Cain after he spoke to him about it? He said, sin lieth at the door. It's there just waiting for us to be so weighed down by distractions, by the world, by our side interest, that it can snap us up. So he says, lay aside these weights and the sins which does so easily beset us. You know, uh, the psalmist uh, David, he writes about presumptuous sins, sins of arrogancy, besetting sins. I call that available sins. Those are sins available if you want it. It's available. You can walk out this door. You don't have to walk out this door. You can pull out your phone. And get into sin. It's available. Is it what we want? And so we see uh, the sin uh, that comes after our side interest. And then he says here, and run with patience. The, uh, the race that is set before us. I call this the succession because after each generation, another generation succeeds them in running this race. It is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And as we pass the baton to the next generation to continue on, in Psalm chapter 24 it says, this is a generation that will serve the Lord. And yet so many generations are deciding we are not going to serve the Lord. And as we hand that off, it says... Run with patience. We need to run our race, the course that is set before us. As uh, Paul writes, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. 
Acts chapter 13 says, And as John fulfilled his course, then in Acts chapter 20, the writer writes again, that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. See, this cloud of witnesses is watching to see if we're going to take the baton that someone else is handing us. We need to run our race. I don't need to run Brother Lewis's race. It's his race. I don't need to run Brother Warden's race. You hear about Usain Bolt. Anybody know who Usain Bolt is? He's a sprinter, Jamaican. Fastest guy. Uh, I think if I hit him in the knee, I could take him uh, in a race, maybe. Uh, but he just lost a gold medal. Not because of his race, but because of someone else who was running a race with him. Who cheated. You know, we're all running our race, but we're running the race together. We can't, as the Bible says, be a stumbling block to someone else because we want to cheat in our race. He's laid the course. There are boundaries. You know, in a race, you can't just run. They, they put things in your shoes now to track you on a marathon. Why? Because a lady decided to run get in a cab and ride to the end and then cross the finish line. True story. She won the race by cheating. What, what came with that shame? What the Bible said, be sure your sin will find you out. There's a course, there's a race, there's lines, there's boundaries. You go outside the boundaries. God knows. So run your race that God has given you and stay in the boundaries. Then he says, so we have to run our race. And then the, the second thing I see about our race here, it says regulate your pace. It says run with patience. Don't try to sprint through life. I, I'm not a sprinter. You know, I go to first and then I sit there for a moment and think about my life as it flashes before my eyes. And wonder why in the world. And then when I get out, you know, I'm the, the last out. So then somebody gets on base and like, we need a runner. That's not my race to run. I got out. I'm going to use that next time. That's biblical right there. <laughs> Where's Brother Gordon? He's, he's in junior church. I said, coach, I can't. It's not my race. I'm supposed to run my race. Regulate your pace. Don't try to get ahead of God. Don't try to get ahead of God. You know, I remember when I, when I went to Bible college, Brother Sexton, he comes in after the first week, and he goes, how many of you have started dating someone since you've been here? Man, hands flew up. You know, because you go to Bible college, uh, it's God's will uh, to have a girlfriend or boyfriend. He goes, okay, I want you to break up right now. Turn, say we're done. He goes, because I'm going to tell you, that's probably not God's will. It's just what's available. It's very good. I came, we were already dating, so we were safe. Uh, and we're still dating, so it's wonderful. Um, but he, we, we have to, to run with patience. Patience. Wait on God. You know, the, these young people are going to go to college. And, and they're, I mean, there's, they're going to go in. They're gonna, uh, a couple of them are going to go to Pensacola. And they have buffets of food. Now, when I went to college, we didn't have a buffet. We got a sack lunch with a crustable 
and a bag of chips, all right? And I lost weight at college until I discovered the Burger King gave us a discount, and then I gained all of it back plus some. But they're, they're, they're going to, what? They're going to have to go in. They're going to have to regulate what they're going to eat. They're going to have to regulate their time to, to consume, to be able to have their studies done. Jake's going to do a double major. That's going to take time set apart for what? Just for that. They're going to have to do it with patience. Not try to get ahead of themselves. You know, I had to take, uh, you know, Algebra 1 before I took Algebra 2. And that was still an iffy thing. But you, you, what? Succession. One foot in front of the other. Running the race that God lays it out as He lays it out. So regulate your pace. Then last thing I titled, Remember Their Face. Why? Because there's a cloud of witnesses. And we can think in our lives who they are. As each one of these graduates come forth, the common theme that I thought of as I was studying for this was each one of them have a set of grandparents in this church who are faithful to God. I want, I want to give you this, this story, and then I'll be done. Um, just and I, I like to read a lot of different things. But there was a U.S. naval pilot uh, in the Vietnam War named uh, Charles Plum. Charles Plum. And he was a, a naval aviator who flew off of an aircraft carrier. And he flew 75 combat missions into Vietnam. And on the 76th, he was shot down, parachuted out, was captured, spent six years in POW camp before he was liberated. And uh, he, he came home and became uh, an inspirational speaker, speaking on the time uh, in which he had been uh, captured in POW camp. He was at dinner one day with his wife, and they were sitting there, and he said a, a, a man came up about his age, a little bit younger, and he said, you're Charles Plum. He goes, yes, I am. He goes, I knew you. I was aboard the same ship that you were aboard. He goes, really? He goes, I, I don't remember you. He goes, well, he goes, I packed your chute the day you parachuted. I guess it worked. He goes, I guess it did. He goes, well, thank you. He goes, well, it's nice to meet you. And they talk. He goes, but the next day it hit me. He goes, I thought about that man in the bowels of that ship standing at a wooden table when no one was there, no one was around, folding the silk, making sure the nylon was just right. And he never knew he just trusted that when he ejected, it would work. What struck me about these testimonies, as I thought about these young people, they have had grandparents preparing their shoot 
So the one day, if they need it, they've got a godly heritage to keep them safe, to bring them home the way they need to come home. I look at my own life. The psalmist writes, the lines are falling to me in pleasant places. I have a goodly I've got witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses in my life that have gone before that are still watching me. What will they see? I'm folding the shoe for my kids. So that they'll have safety. Paul wrote to Timothy. He says, I see in you. I'm going to read it real quick so I don't mess it up. In 2 Timothy, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in that in thee also. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a couple chapters over, he writes, uh, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned. That cloud of witnesses. They've taught us, and now they're watching us. They've prepared us. So what will they see? Let's pray.